Welcome to New Catholic Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Freeman. Well, turning your Bibles to Acts, Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin, and we'll be covering quite a few passages in Acts. Uh, we're in a series called Hope for the Generations. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, One generation plants the trees, the next gets the shade. And that's really true. We are living in the shade of what has gone before us. Thank goodness that God had some faithful people who shared the love of God with us that we get to share with others. We've been living in the shade of other generations and now it's our turn not only to be the shade but to plant new trees. Plant new trees for the next generation. The hope of the generations is Jesus Christ. What God started, He's going to finish. Psalms 100 verse 5 says this, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, there's no end to it, and His truth endures to all generations. We know that that truth is fully revealed in Jesus Christ who, as Chris shared earlier, Hebrews 13, 8, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That truth that endures to all generations is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. The power for real change in any generation is in Jesus. Not in our energy or our ability to know how to really connect with the generation. It's not in our marketing savvy, but it's in the Spirit-empowered witness of Jesus Christ Himself in and through you. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God, His truth is going to endure to all generations, but He's not going to do it without you. He's not doing it without you. You, Christ in you, is the hope of glory. But what does that look like? Chris and I have been kind of swapping out here, talking about uh, hope for the generations. And this morning, I want to talk to you what, what about a man that I believe shared it. What does he do? It. He shares with the next generation. I believe he's key in the next generation coming to find out about the gospel. What gospel? Matthew 28, 19 and 20 in the message translation says this. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Marking them by baptism in the threefold name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. How does that work? How do you do that? What is it required? You know, a lot of times we can say, well, that's the preacher's job. That's the missionary's job. Folks, listen, it says Christ in you is the hope of glory. So I want us to look at a man who lived this out in his generation. His name was Joseph of Cyprus. Anybody recognize that name? Joseph of Cyprus. Maybe you would know him better by his nickname, Barnabas. Barnabas. Anybody heard of Barnabas? Yeah? We're going to be looking at the life of Barnabas 
as he lived it out, and as we look at it, you're going to see that there is some areas that Barnabas literally did over and over again. And I'm calling it the Barnabas factor. Joseph of Cyprus, a Levite, he was, Acts 11:24 says this, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas was a member of the first church in Jerusalem. In fact, Eusebius, according to church tradition, says that Barnabas was one of the 70 that Jesus sent out in Luke chapter 10. So that means that Barnabas was walking with Jesus before his death, burial, and then he got to celebrate the resurrection. Barnabas was there. Barnabas was a part of that church that was living in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh. In chapter 4, we meet him in, in verse 36. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. We know, isn't it amazing? We know him by his nickname. The apostles gave him his name. How many of you know you don't give yourself a nickname? How many of you had a nickname growing up? I'm not going to ask you what it is. Okay? I had, I had multiple nicknames. I'm not going to tell you what they are. The whole point is, it's amazing how easily what sticks is our nickname instead of our real name. Because here's the thing. The nickname described what Barnabas was like. He was a son of encouragement. And encouragement here, it's, it's one who comes alongside, one who believes. The idea, it's one of the New Testament words uh, used over a hundred times. Nicknames, names. I, I read a story, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of strange, but uh, uh, there was a new employee at a job, and uh, he was called into the manager's office. And when he comes in, he sits down, the manager says, what's your name? And the guy said, John. The manager immediately, he said, look, I don't know what kind of place you worked for before, but I don't call anyone by their first name. It breeds familiarity and it leads to a breakdown in authority. I refer to my employees by their last name only. Smith, Jones, Baker, that's all. Now, what's your last name? Darling. My name is John Darling. The manager said, okay, John. Barnabas was an encourager. Psychologist tells us that in every person's life, there's two kinds of people. There's those people who evaluate us, and there's people who encourage us. Evaluators constantly nitpick, looking for the flaws they can point out, or looking for the areas of correction. Isn't it amazing how some people in your life always know what's wrong? They can name it. They can point it out. These are the evaluators in your life. But there's also those who are encouragers. The encouragers are those who come alongside us and help us believe. Help us believe in God and His truth, but also help us to believe in ourselves. 
Encouragement is the language of the New Testament. Christ in you, I believe, is an encourager. It's used over a hundred times in Scripture. But this morning, I want us to look at what I'm calling the Barnabas factor. Because I believe it's going to be key to how we make sure that the next generation gets the message. Carries the gospel. That becomes what God intends it to be for their generation. Four things. Number one in the Barnabas factor is that Barnabas was generous. We met him in verse 36. Look at verse 37 of Acts chapter 4. He says that Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and bought, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is the first recorded donor in this new community called church. Generosity shows what we trust in. Where your treasure is, finish it. There will your heart be also. Barnabas shows us where his treasure was. He was a display in trusting God and trusting the apostles. He didn't give it and just give it to those who in need so that he could be made known. He gave it and laid it at the apostles' feet, trusting them to distribute it according to the needs. Great grace and great power was on the church. And the first thing Barnabas does is invest generously of that which was his own. It was his to give. And that, it wasn't just that he gave, but it was the spirit and the attitude in which he gave. Barnabas was a display that he Trusted God, the apostles, and what Jesus was doing in the lives and the hearts of people. His generosity wasn't for what he could get out of it, but was for the glory of God, and it was infectious. In fact, chapter 5 tells about Ananias and Sapphira that wanted to do it for their own glory. They held some back. Barnabas gave with generosity and with freedom. He was generous. It just marks me that he was the first one that's recorded in Scripture to be one who gave. The second word is gracious. The next time we see Barnabas is in Acts chapter 9. He's coming alongside a man named Saul who had been terrorizing Jesus' followers. He had been breathing out murderous threats and finding men and women and taking them to prison. And then he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. This murdering terrorist is now a trusting disciple. He's a believer, but he's got a problem. Nobody believes him. You understand? Well, I've changed. I remember the, I remember when I fully gave myself over to the Lord. And I remember the, my friends, they said, yeah, right. Feimster, we know you. We know you. Paul had that problem. Saul of Tarsus, he had that problem. You see, he had been somebody before he was somebody. And so, here, Barnabas, look at verse uh, 26, Acts chapter 9. This is going to be in the New Living Translation. It says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Look at verse 27. Then Barnabas took him under his wing. He introduced him to the apostles and stood up for him and told them how Saul had seen and spoken to the massacre on the Damascus road and how in Damascus itself he had laid his life on the line with 
his bold preaching in Jesus' name. <laughs> you realize this? How did, Par- how did Barnabas know? How did Barnabas know all of this? All the rest were afraid of Saul, but Barnabas comes alongside of him. You know how Barnabas knew? He was there. He got to know Saul of Tarsus. He was the one that wasn't afraid to step into the realm of a man who was a terrorist that became a treasure. Here's the thing about encouragers. They can see the best in the worst and call it out. So it was Barnabas who was trusted by the apostles, takes Saul, you know, I know, you know, arms and says, I'll vouch for him. He met the master. You know, I know, you know how I know? Because his life has changed and he's preaching the message and all Damascus is responding. Barnabas is the one who brings Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, writes two-thirds of the New Testament. It was Barnabas that brought him in to this new community. Barnabas showed grace. Here's the good thing, the, the wonderful gift encouragers give you. They believe you can change by God's grace. They don't let who you were yesterday limit who you might be today. Or who you might become tomorrow. Y'all remember the movie that was out a few years ago, 42, about Jackie Robinson, the first African-American that, African-American that played baseball, professional baseball? In that movie, one, one scene in that movie stands out to me. Jackie Robinson was the first and he was finding all the racism and all the things that was going on and everybody and all the heckling that was going on in the, in the stands against him. And I remember one scene in that movie, Pee Wee Reese is one of their best players, famous players, and Pee Wee Reese goes over at second base and he puts his arm around Jackie Robinson saying, he's with me. He's with me. That's the, that's the feeling I get when I read this about Barnabas. Barnabas goes over and he puts his arm around a terrorist in everybody else's mind, brings him up close and says, he's with me. I'll vouch for him. Grace. Grace that sees the best in the worst and calls it up. Can you imagine how that made Saul of Tarsus feel? He had been trying to tell them nobody was listening. And so Barnabas becomes the paraclete. The one alongside that opens the door. What would have happened to Saul if he had not had Barnabas? His acceptance in the Jesus community is because of one man. Who believed in, accepted, and stood with him. Here's my point. You can do that for somebody. You can do that. But Barnabas was not only gracious toward a change in people. No matter how bad they were. But he was also gracious in the change of what God was doing. Look at Acts chapter 11 verse 19. 
Well, well, 20 is going to be on the screen. The believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. And they preached the word of God. But here's verse 19, the end of it. But only to Jews. They were preaching the message, but only to Jews. Verse 20 says this. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Gentiles. Gentiles who don't know the law, who don't know God's uh, Israel's God, respond and begin to enter this new Jesus community. Word soon gets back to Jerusalem. Gentiles are these, these nations, these other people, these... Gentiles are them. We don't talk to them. We don't associate with them. And Barnabas. Word gets back to Jerusalem. The Gentiles are believing in Jesus. What are we going to do? Look at verse 22. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas, son of encouragement, to Antioch. They sent Barnabas. Well, he brought a Saul. Maybe he can take care of these Gentiles too. You see, Gentiles, this is going to change everything. If Jesus is saving Gentiles, maybe Jesus is not saved. What are we going to do? They send Barnabas. Look at verse 23. When he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessings. He was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Look at that word, encouraged. That's who he is. Now listen to me. He didn't go there with an agenda. He went there with an open heart. He went with an open heart. Sometimes we will be going somewhere, but we're going with an agenda. I think we need to go with an open heart and an open mind and an open spirit to see what God is doing. And here's where I saw the grace. When he saw the evidence of God's blessings, he saw the change. He encouraged them to stay with the Lord. He encouraged, in other words, he didn't say, y'all have got to fix this. He was filled with joy. Suddenly he gets a revelation that Peter got in Cornelius' house. This just just isn't about us. It's about them. And Barnabas goes back to report what God has done. Now, this this is amazing to me. Barnabas is the one who encourages the Gentiles... To go on with the Lord. To stay true to the Lord. God's grace was available to Gentiles. And he said, go for it. Go for it. You remember, he's the guy that can see the good in the middle of the worst in order to call up the good. But not only that, he becomes a guide. Generous, gracious, and a guide. Look at verse 25. The Gentiles were coming to the Lord in great numbers, and Barnabas knew that they needed help in teaching and training them in the ways of the Lord. Again, back to Matthew. Train them up in everything I've commanded you. In verse 
25, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Barnabas, we've got to train these Gentiles. They don't know the law. They don't know the, the, the scripture. They don't know uh, Israel's God. But they're coming to Jesus. They're discovering him. We've got to train them and to teach them to, to know what they got when they got Jesus. And guess what he thinks of? Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Now, there wasn't anybody more Jewish than Saul. But maybe he remembered what Saul had told him about his testimony when Agabus, the prophet, Ananias, the prophet came to see him when he had been blinded. And he told him what God had said. And God had told him that he was going to send him as a light to the Gentiles. God intends Saul to be with me. He goes and gets Saul. Saul, I came alongside you in Jerusalem. Now I need you to come alongside me in Antioch. Now isn't this amazing that the first place that people were called Christ ones, little Christ's, Christ characters, was in a Gentile place with Gentile believers. The first place that it was recognized they were like Jesus was in the place of Gentiles. Not in Jerusalem, in Antioch. And Barnabas was a key part for the reputation that was going to change the world. Barnabas, just a guy. Just a guy who was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now, full of the Holy Spirit means that not only he was filled with the presence, but he also was led by the Spirit. And faith is not talking about just believing the right things. It was believing that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the key to your life and the key to eternal life. He believed the message. That's in verse 24. He was a guide. I don't know. Why he thought of Saul, I can't prove any of that by Scripture, but here's the thing. Whatever the case, Barnabas seeks out Saul and he brings him to Antioch and they spend a full year teaching the people. Their teaching had such an impact as that it was that the believers in Antioch are, they take on the character of Christ and are literally called Christ ones. And you remember Barnabas' generosity? A prophet comes to them and tells them there's going to be a, a famine Back in Judea, and the Antioch Christians take up an offering and send it by Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem to help with the Christians there. It's contagious. Encouragement is contagious. Barnabas was not only a guide to the believers in Antioch with Saul, but soon... Here's the thing. Encouragers see things in others that no one else seems to see. See, Saul was, we know him as Paul. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was the Greek or Gentile version of the name. Paul's writings would change the world, but it happened because Barnabas gave him the opportunity. You see, it was in Antioch that Paul begins to 
be set apart. There's a significant aspect in Barnabas' guidance. It's found in verse 2 of 13, chapter 13. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. And they laid hands on them and sent them out. Now in the ancient world, the order of people's names was very significant. In other words, if your name appeared first, that meant that you were really in charge. You carried the prestige of the mission. In verse 2, it says Barnabas and Saul. They begin to minister. Paul's gifts begin to flourish and rise to the top. His preaching and teaching begin to blossom. After an encounter with a sorcerer and then powerfully preaching the gospel in the synagogue, look at verse 46 of Acts 13. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared. Did you see it? Verse 2, Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas. The names have been switched. Now Paul is the one leading. Paul is the one now getting the accolades, getting the attention. Now, if you were Barnabas... You can say, hey, bud, you know, this, this is my idea. He could have been jealous. He could have said, you know, you're only here by my invitation. That's not what. There wasn't anybody happier about the change of names than Barnabas. Why? Because Barnabas saw the gifts in Paul. He watched them develop. He was part of the blossoming. And Barnabas just takes a back seat. He takes second fiddle. He takes second chair. Yeah, he's there. Barnabas has done all of this. But it's not about Barnabas. And it's not about Paul. It's about Jesus and his message. How many of us is it easy for us to play second fiddle? You know, I don't know about you, but I would think, well, you know, Paul is only who he is because of me. Who does he think he is? You know, I can put him in his place. I can remind them what he used to be. I can tell. None of that. Why? Barnabas saw the gifts and callings on Paul and he called them up. And he gave space for them to be represented. He gave space for them to be developed. He gave space. He was there walking alongside of him. He was there. Now listen to me. If you're second on the team that wins, you're still a winner. You may not be high point, but they couldn't have done it without you. You've got to understand, there's this team mentality in Barnabas. It's not about who's in front. It's about what's going on. What God's up to. Please, one of the things we need in our day more than anything else is people who know how to take a step back and let the gifts and callings rise to what God intends. Barnabas knew how to rejoice. His joy was in recognizing and developing greatness in somebody else. Paul's ministry went on to be far more visible than his own. Literally, after the book of Acts, Barnabas disappears. 
He's mentioned over in Galatians. But you you no longer hear Barnabas. And you know what? You know who it's okay with? Barnabas. You've got to understand. It's more about the message. It's more about the work. It's more about what God's doing than it's who's getting the credit. Gracious. Oh, God, make us gracious to people who are just coming up, who have gifts that haven't blossomed yet. Number three, he was a guard. Did I, that, was that a guide? Sorry, number four. A guard. Acts chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. While Paul and Barnabas went out to, at, were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Look at verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. So through this process, the church decides to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of the other believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Here's the point I want you to... Barnabas guarded the revelation that God had given. Barnabas guarded the revelation. Because these people from Jerusalem, these people from Judea come in and say, Look, you're Gentiles. And it's great that you're believing in Jesus. It's great that you're believing in the Messiah. But you've got to be circumcised and become a Jew in order to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas is saying, No way. They didn't become a Jew to receive Christ. They don't have to become a Jew to keep Christ. They argue and argue and argue, and there's a, no, a little bit. Isn't it amazing how quickly arguments come up in church? Doesn't take much. Now, let me tell you, the people from they call Judaizers. The Judaizers believed they were right. Barnabas believed he was right. So they go to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. It's called the it's called the Jerusalem Council. When the Gentiles were coming into the, to the Jesus community, what do we do with them? What do we say to them? And Paul and Barnabas go and they tell it all out. They tell about the miracles. They tell it all. Here's what I want you to say. They stood their ground in the face of the apostles and the elders and the Judaizers. They stood. They were, listen, remember, he's a full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Christ in them was sufficient to stand in Jerusalem in front of James and the apostles and elders and hold their ground with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Barnabas guarded the message. Listen to me. The gospel. Here's the danger that's going on right now in our world. There's a generation where the gospel is accepted. There's a move of God. The gospel is accepted. Then there comes a generation where the gospel is assumed. We just assume everybody understands it. 
We assume that everybody knows it. Then there comes a generation where the gospel is confused. Added and taken away. Everybody's writing their own eyes. Those, and then there's the place where the gospel is lost without us guarding it. It's accepted. It's assumed. It's confused. And it's lost. Just takes four steps to get to the place. I was listening to a man this week. He, uh, Brady uh, Boyd, who is pastor at New Life in Colorado Springs. And he said something in Colorado. He said he, what he's realized. He said, you know, we all presume that people know that they're sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all know that. We all know that. Not anymore. We have a generation to come up that believes there's nothing absolutely wrong with them. So who needs a Messiah that's going to forgive your sins if you don't have any sins? You see, we assume everybody knows they're a sinner. Maybe that's why the gospel is being confused in our day. It's because of our own assumptions. Here's what we need. We need Barnabases who are going to guard the message. Who's going to guard the truth? Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem and they not only guard it, they win. They write a letter telling them the Gentiles that you're free. Uh, there's only two things and it was about uh, not, not eating the blood and not sexual immorality. Those two things, apart from that, faith in Christ is enough. Barnabas, he guarded defending the truth, the revelation. Barnabas would also guard a young believer. In chapter 15, verse 36, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Verse 37, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Barnabas not only guarded the truth, he guarded the young believers. John Mark. John Mark had traveled with Paul and, and Barnabas on their missionary journeys, but in some place, we don't even, the scripture doesn't record it, he left. He, he deserted them. That's what the scripture says. He left. John Mark. Now you've got to understand, John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is believed to be the first gospel that was put down on paper or on papyrus, put down in, in writing. It was Mark who was taking Peter's eyewitness account and wrote it down. This is John Mark. Now, John Mark had quit. He'd quit in the middle of it. He'd gone back home. Paul says, hey, let's go back and visit the churches. Barnabas says, I agree, let's take John Mark. Paul says, he ain't going with us. It became such a, a turmoil that they literally did not go together any longer. <laughs> Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't say who was right and who was wrong. But I can hear Barnabas, wait, buddy, hey, buddy, you remember in Jerusalem when nobody would touch you with a 10-foot pole? 
Who's the one that came up alongside of you and put your arm around you and said, I'll go with you? And now you're not going to let John Mark have a second chance because he deserted us in the past? Barnabas saying, I will. I believe in him. Now, now think about this. Barnabas stood by the two men who wrote half the New Testament. What would have happened to John Mark if Barnabas hadn't said, I'll give you a second chance? What would have happened to John Mark had he not guarded this young believer's heart who though he had failed and though he had fallen, he wasn't finished? You see, here's the good thing about Barnabas is the Barnabas factor. There's people that have really blown it. And God's still with them. God's still going to use them powerfully. Barnabas is one to see through the worst and call out the best. Hear me. He guarded the truth, the revelation, and he guarded the work in a person's heart. Paul himself. Now, I want to say this because I didn't say it in the first service. I want to sit here. I'm making Barnabas sound like he was a go-to man. Barnabas wasn't perfect either. In Galatians, Paul reminds us that when Peter left out, when the Jews came in and Peter was sitting down eating with Gentiles, but when the Jews came in, Peter got up and walked out to be with the Jews and not the Gentiles. And he says that he carried Barnabas with him. That Peter even deceived Barnabas into following him. Barnabas had even fallen. He had defended the truth and then walked out with Peter. So I want you to understand, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a spirit and a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And he is generous, he's gracious, he's a guide and he's a guard. But he's just a man. Filled with God. Led by his spirit. In other words, here's what I'm trying to tell you. He was a man. Later on, John Mark, Paul even comes up, because in Second Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Hey, Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's helpful for me in my ministry. Barnabas saw something in Mark that turned out to be right all along. Encouragers stand with you even when you fall. Folks, if we're going to see that the hope of the generation continues if we're going to pass it on to others we need to be people who are full of the Holy Spirit and faith but it also needs to be lived out that's what I'm talking about this Barnabas factor it needs to be lived out through our generosity and our grace our guidance and our guarding 1 Thessalonians 5 here's what I'm talking Christ was in Barnabas displaying His glory. Christ in you is the hope to display the glory of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11 through 11 says this, God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our Master Jesus Christ. He died for us, a death that triggered life. 
Whether we're awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we're alive with Him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. We can do it. We can do it. We can let Christ live through us in such a way that we become the display of His character in this life for this generation so that it will go to the next. We can do it. Through our generosity, through our grace, through our guidance, and through guarding the message. Guarding the message. Here's my question. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, am I an evaluator or an encourager? Am I only looking for things that's wrong? Am I only looking to point out what what is not right? Am I only looking to make them please me? Am I only looking to play first chair? Or am I an encourager that I can see the best in somebody else even though through the worst? And I can call it out. That I can stand for the truth and not let the people be run over by the confusion of our world. Can I lift up those who've fallen? Call alongside those that the world's not believing's really changed. Can I be that encourager? That's the Barnabas factor. We have that opportunity. Am I an evaluator? Or am I an encourager? Am I a Pharisee? Or am I a Barnabas? Pray with me. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. You would pour out your Spirit upon us in Revelation. You would help us to see that the He who lives in us is sufficient to make us into what You have called us to be. We pray and thank You for what You've done in our lives. But Lord, we want to see it pass on. We don't want to assume it. We want to be a part, uh, people who've accepted it and will pass it forth. Father, I pray that You would uh, open our eyes and to let us see and evaluate, not to evaluate people but to encourage them. To let them know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, as we at New Covenant, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the gifts and callings on other people. And that we would be those who raise them up, who give them opportunity to blossom and to grow in their place. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.